0: All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justice. Justices. Justice of the Supreme oh, yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina. All
1: of our citizens across the state
2: depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law, and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court.
0: God save the state and this honorable court. Hello and welcome to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In this episode we listened to a 2009 interview with former Supreme Court of North Carolina Associate Justice Harry C. Martin. Justice Martin has the distinction of serving as a judge on the North Carolina Superior Court, the North Carolina Court of Appeals, the Supreme Court of North Carolina, and the Cherokee Nation Supreme Court. In addition, Martin has the distinction of being appointed to the bench by three North Carolina governors, Terry Sanford, Dan Moore, and Jim Hunt. In the interview, Martin offers a glimpse into the history of the North Carolina Judicial Branch and gives time-tested advice to Superior Court judges and young lawyers who are just getting started in the legal profession. This interview was recorded as part of the Chief Justices Commission on Professionalism's historical video series. The interview was conducted by Commission Executive Director Mel Wright, who was the first to speak in the interview.
1: And we're here in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm honored today to be sitting with Justice Martin. And Justice Martin, I thank you for agreeing to be here to share a few thoughts with us today.
2: Well, I'm happy that I'm able to be here, and it's a delight to help and participate in what the Chief Justice and, in plural, Chief Justices are uh, doing in this professionalism project that you have
1: well now when you came to Asheville, as i understand it you started your own practice you were right out of law school right had not practiced for a while and had no experience tell us what it was like to start out on your own in your own law office because i think we're going to have a lot of young folks now coming out with the economy as it is today that maybe start their own firms or not going into yeah. practices? And did you have a mentor and how did you make it on your uh,
2: own? Well, I really didn't have a, a mentor, as you think of it. Uh, but but I, made up my, I made up my mind, and as I reflect on it, uh, Uncle Julius may have suggested this to me. Uh, I can't even remember for sure, but one of the first things I did was I went to see every lawyer in Asheville. There weren't too many, but I went to see every one of them, introduced myself, said I'm here, I'm practicing law, and this is where my office is, telephone number, and uh, if you have anything that uh, you think I could help you with or do for one of your clients, you just let me know and I'll be right here. Well. It took a little while for that to begin to happen. First month, I practiced law. I made fifteen dollars. My rent was thirty dollars. I rented uh, uh, an office from Joe Huff, who's a lawyer uh, there in Asheville, and uh, his his wife was his secretary. And she said that she would do my work, which was she wasn't anything for her to do, but uh, she said she'd do my work without any cost, and that was a footnote to it also because uh, later on, when I was a spirit court judge, the state finally uh, uh, found enough money <clears throat> so that the spirit court judges could have a secretary, and so I, I got Miss Huff to come and and uh, be the secretary for the judges. And she did. And then later on, when I was appointed by Governor Hunt to the Court of Appeals, she came in and told me, says, you can't go unless I go too. (laughs) And she went and she stayed with me up until about an hour, a year before I had to retire. She left about a year before I did and came back. But coming back to that practice, uh, I I would say that one of the most satisfactory things is to open your own office. And it's your own responsibility. Either you do it or you don't do it. And uh, if you work at it and devote your time properly, you'll get business, And very often, in those early days, a lawyer would send somebody to me because he is too busy to attend to it. Well, the next time that guy needed a lawyer, he came to me. And it it, it just gradually uh, grew. Also, fortunately, the Roosevelt administration had had the uh, foresight to know that a lot of veterans were going to be starting in business, so to speak, and would need help. So uh, there was a program where I, I got $300 a month from the government for the first 18 months, I believe it was, might have been 16, that uh, that I practiced law. It was... Uh, known as the Veterans Readjustment Allowance, kind of bridging you over mm-hmm. from your income as a serviceman to your own income that you're earning yourself. If you were appointed to represent somebody in a capital case, and I was at least three times, uh, you were, the judge could pay you and the state would pay up to two hundred and fifty dollars for representing somebody in a capital crime today that's all changed uh,
1: well, after working for a while in that firm was the next step for you to go to the bench uh,
2: it, it, it was in so far as my uh, career was uh, concerned I did take a Another big step, after I'd been practicing law for seven, about seven years, uh, I got married. Mm-hmm. That's the longest contract I've ever been in. <laughs> it's still going on. Um, in, na- uh, in 1960, Terry Sanford uh, ran for governor, and uh, he knew I wanted to be a judge. I really didn't think much about being a, a judge uh, until I started practicing law. I sort of got the idea that's what I'd like to do. And what what did you learn
1: uh, as a superior court judge that you could share with us?
2: Well, uh, a superior court judge, the most dangerous part is uh, talking too much. Spiritual judge has to quickly learn not to say much, cause you you really don't need to. Uh, somebody says objection, overruled. You don't have you don't have to say overruled. Blah 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 blah. Tell why you're overruled. Don't have to say that. You tell why you're overruled. Some appellate court may say no. Uh, that's that's a, that's a, That's the wrong reason. Uh, He didn't overrule it for the right reason. So judges, uh, a spirit court judge especially, has got to learn to say little and to listen a lot. People have asked me, I sat on all three courts, as to which one I thought uh, was the most important. I told them I thought the spirit court judge was the most important. 'Cause he's all by himself. There might be another Spirit Court judge in the courthouse that he could talk to, but that's be the only guy he could talk to about a problem he might have. Whereas Court of Appeals, you got a panel of three, you got two other guys to help you. Supreme Court, you got six other people to either help you or confuse you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now, after the Superior Court
1: judgeship, did you go to the Court of Appeals? I did go to the Court
2: of Appeals. What year would that have been? Uh, 78. Okay. Yeah, 1978. I was appointed to judicial office by three different governors, Uh, Governor Sanford, Governor Moore, and Governor Hunt. And Governor Hunt made the, same mistake twice. He appointed me twice to the court, uh, to the court of appeals, and then, and then to the Supreme Court. I enjoyed the court of appeals work, and I, but I think I served just about the limit of uh, what a fellow ought to have to do. I remember the last year I was on that court, I wrote a hundred and five opinions for the court of appeals in one year. In one year. On the Court of Appeal. that's one about every three days, roughly. And you throw in Saturdays and Sundays, uh, that's a lot of work you're doing. Supreme Court, uh, you might write 25 opinions in a year's time, something like that, maybe.
1: How long were you on the Court of Appeals?
2: Four years. And how long were you on the Supreme Court? Ten. Ten years. Yeah. All right. And... Uh, I mentioned to you earlier that I did not like the mandatory retirement, which the legislature had passed, saying if you got to be 72 years old, you're too old to be a judge. You look at the Supreme Court of the United States, you got one of the just, justices up there now, he's the same age I am, I believe he's 89, and he's still serving on the U.S. Supreme Court. There have been lots and lots of justices and lots of them on the court here in Raleigh that are over 72 years of age. But the legislature, uh, in their wisdom, decided that after you reach a certain age, you couldn't no longer be a judge. And I think trial judge, uh, he, he can't be a judge after he's 70, I believe it is. What the difference is, I'm not sure, <laughs> they give these guys in rally that they can stay for two more years and guy up here on the spirit court can't do that. Well, what uh, what year
1: was it when you stepped down from the Supreme Court approximately? Uh, it was
2: 1992.
1: Yeah. Uh, and after that, did you retire? Did you go home and, and stop any form of the uh, practice of law? Well, or?
2: I was pretty much retired for about six months when I got a phone call from Principal Chief Jones at the uh, Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians telling me about the Cherokees closing out the what they call the CFR court uh, under the Code of Federal Regulations, which is actually a court run by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and everybody who worked in the court system was a federal employee. They were not employees of the tribe it was a federal court not a tribal court they wanted to terminate that so I talked with uh, Chief Jones and he convinced me to take that job and I did I told him that I wasn't gonna I couldn't move to Cherokee he said that's all right and so I drove back and forth and what type
1: of cases did you hear in that capacity with the... Well,
2: uh, there were three of us on the Supreme Court, myself, a Cherokee Indian who lived in Washington, D.C. Uh, she, she was a graduate of Duke University in Columbia Law School, very bright uh, young woman. The third judge, he was from Macon County, I can't think of his name, but he was a white man, not an Indian. Unfortunately, in the view of the Cherokees, Congress has passed a statute and says that for any criminal offense tried by a tribal court, you cannot sentence him more than one year in prison. In practical way, somebody charged with a big drug felony, justice could not be served if he's convicted. So those cases, including murder cases, rapes, burglaries, all the heavy crimes, they go to the United States federal court sitting in Pryson City. The principal criminal jurisdiction of the Cherokee Tribal Court is uh, about the same as a district court judge in the state system. Now, on the civil side, they have unlimited jurisdiction. Uh, They can try any kind of civil case.
1: Let let me Uh, ask you this question, Justice Martin. uh, You have had a wide range of experience with the practice of law and sole practice and uh, a partnership and, and on all levels of the trial bench. What important aspect of professionalism do you think young lawyers need to be aware of as they start out practicing law?
2: Well, I, I think the important thing for a young lawyer is that you are a professional. And you are not in a business to make a certain amount of profit. You do not have other people's money invested in your business and you do not have other people pressuring you, you've got to make more money. The practice of law is a true profession and the principal objective of the practice of law is to help people, not necessarily help businesses. You can help businesses, corporations, and the like, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the basic bedrock is to make life better for the people who look to you to help them achieve that. I remember an older lawyer telling me years ago, if you mind your office and if you do your work, you don't have to worry about making money. The money will come to you. That is not your goal. Your goal is to help the person, or more than one. The young lawyer has got to preserve uh, also in, in doing his job. I guess there are lots and lots of lawyers that couldn't find the courthouse if you'd ask them where it is, and lots of them, if they know where it is, Never go there to try a lawsuit. But those who do, those who go into that courtroom and should remember that there's a difference between a lawyer and a judge. And we must continue. Although you may not have good feelings and a, a good personal respect for a certain person, who happens to be a judge. The fact that he is a judge entitles him to you be courteous and treat him as if he were, in your mind, a good judge. And that will help him as well as help you.
0: You've been listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast from the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov. If you like our podcast, please share it with a friend and give it a five-star rating and review. Your help is essential to sharing the important work of the Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office, and I'm reminding you to keep all things judicial. Thanks for listening.